Hi, we're Katie, Jessica, and Shannon, and this is Boy Problems Podcast, a community focused on supporting families navigating substance use disorder. We hope sharing our stories, introducing you to experts, and answering all the questions you have no one else to ask will help you better navigate your story. Through our partners' recoveries, we found each other and formed our own squad, one we know is so valuable to how we manage this disease in our relationships. So we started bringing a microphone to our hangouts to extend our conversations to others just like us. When you're here, you're not alone. If you're listening, you probably know we met at a family support group and our bonds have grown stronger through sharing our stories and supporting each other. When we think about the thing that's helped us most, it's that. So we'd like to extend that community to you. If you're feeling like no one understands what you're dealing with, or you're looking for a community of like-minded individuals, consider joining our virtual support group. For details, visit us at recovering2.com. We know what you're going through, and we're here to help. We're Recovering Too. Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. Uh, We are back with a special guest today. Uh, We are talking with Mrs. L., You may know her as Addiction Makes Three on Instagram and uh, really appreciate it, really appreciate that she is taking the time to talk to us, especially with the time change because we're on opposite sides of the country, but I just think it's so- The world? Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, Opposite sides of the world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I just think it's really cool that you know, the power of social media can bring people together and it goes to show that, you know, addiction and um, recovery, this is a global issue and that we're all connected um, no matter where we are. So thank you, Mrs. L for being here with us and looking yeah, welcome. To you. Thank you for having me. Yes, very excited to speak to you ladies. Yes. Do you want to start by just giving us a little bit of background about yourself and then we can jump in with all the questions? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I live in Brisbane in Australia Um, and yeah, I am married to a good man. I have two young children, Um, have had a very standard upbringing um my parents are still together I've got a sister um I've been to uni traveled (laughs) settled down um I'm originally from New Zealand I lived in London for nine years um and yeah have settled in Australia where I met my husband actually in Sydney in 2012 so yeah I've We've known each other for 11, oh no, nine years and been married for nearly seven. Wow. Yeah, and we've settled awesome. down in Brisbane, yeah. Awesome. So you guys, it's been nine years. Has addiction always been a part of the story? Is that something you knew when you met him or has that developed along the way? I think If I'm going to be completely honest, it was probably there all along, but I didn't know. Um, I don't have addiction in my immediate family. Um, So I 
when I think back on it, I think I was quite naive and kind of blind to it in a way. And just, you know, lots of that early dating was going out drinking and going, you know, like socializing a lot, barbecues, dinners, and, you know, Saturday afternoons, having picnics at the park with a bottle of wine. And when I think back, a lot of our dating at the start involved alcohol, um, but it was like a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't, um, it didn't feel harmful at that stage. I did drink more probably than I have in the past when I was around my then boyfriend. Um, he definitely drank a lot, but I didn't see it as addiction if that makes sense yeah um his family I guess drunk more his you know his brothers were quite social in that way and I didn't see it as an issue at that stage but when I look back on it now with the perspective I have (laughs) um yeah it was obviously a problem um back then but not so much obviously it just got worse and worse over the years but it was probably already a problem at that point but I didn't see it that way yeah I think we can both relate Mm -hmm. to that that we just you know it seemed like at least for me I always thought like oh yeah Jay seems to drink more than me or other people but like we're having fun and like Mm -hmm. I also like to drink and it wasn't really a problem but then as time goes on which makes sense it's a progressive yeah yeah um you know and I think when you're in those early stages of dating sometimes you don't notice red flags or maybe you do and you don't want to see them so or even if you yeah. do similarly to you like I didn't really know a lot about addictions so no I knew nothing actually nothing <laughs> <laughs> Same. um I was just so yeah like I would I'd say ignorant but like naive I guess is a bit kinder um I knew nothing and then I guess once you start when it starts impacting your life like this is a problem but even then I wouldn't have said it's he's addicted or he is dependent I wouldn't have even said that once it started to be a problem I just would have thought this is a bit too much it's a bit excessive um but yeah, obviously it was <laughs> addiction. Um, but I think it's like, it's a slow burn, regressive situation where if you would have gone from point zero to 10 years later, if you went that just one, if you went that jump in one month or one day, you'd be like, absolutely not. This is madness. But it just slowly, slowly, slowly modifies over the time and then all of a sudden you're just in this crazy chaos which you could never have comprehended mm-hmm. you know at the start yeah I think we both relate to that <laughs> um, yeah can you tell us a little bit more about that what that progression looks like for you we've shared in a lot of detail over the last two years kind of how that all came about for us but you know, with that, I mean, share as much as you're comfortable sharing, but um, 
really just kind of wondering at what point did you realize there was a problem? What did you do? Um, when did your spouse realize there was a problem? And kind of what was that road to recovery? What's that looked like? Mm. I think when I first started noticing that it was an actual problem was when I would come home from work and not be, I guess I'd be uncertain about what I was going to come mm. home to, what the situation was going to be at home. Like typically my husband would finish work before me or he'd be at home before me and, you know, coming home and there'd be different levels of, wine having been consumed and just mm-hmm. that really uneasy feeling when you're walking up to your front door key in the door and your heart is kind of racing you're holding your mm-hmm. breath like what is going to be behind the front door today um I think that was my first really early indicator that things weren't okay but even then I thought it was manageable I didn't think had like no idea where it was going to go And then kind of not knowing what the situation would be when we go out, socialising with friends and kind of how much would be consumed and how, you know, the night would go depending on consumption and just that uneasy feeling of how that was going to go. And, you know, my husband was never, he's not um, a violent drunk, if you want to say that. He's not... um, doesn't lash out, doesn't call people names or start brawls or this doesn't make him better or worse than anybody else. But it was just his persona. He would get really tired. He'd fall asleep (laughs) um, at the table and just be, you know, you just, I just once you notice something and I know this is true for like probably everyone, like once you notice someone taps their fingernails really badly on the keyboard, you can't unnotice it. So once you notice that someone is at, you know, like guzzling, drink it's like oh my gosh like he's three glasses down I'm like still halfway through my first like whoa that is a lot Mm. and and then I think when it started impacting um big events you know like we had our first child in 2015 and right up to like 40 weeks he would not have been able to drive me to hospital Mm. had I gone into labor and you're just like why can't you not drink for a week mm-hmm. like be, be there you know and I've and it's not you know that I've obviously like been looking after myself for nine months I've been growing this human like can you just please not be this way as we're getting close to the time like I'm gonna have to get a taxi to the hospital you know if you are unable to drive safely and that obviously has had a causing lots of arguments and um, things like that. And our wedding, you know, not in great shape. The birth of our second child, not in great shape. And obviously that just started causing a lot of unrest in myself and sadness and not that I think it now, but back then I was like, why can't you choose me? Why can't you choose us? Like, and just that complete decline in the situation. Um, and just, yeah, as the time went on, this lack of ability to present in the way that I know he could as a father, as a husband, because of drinking, 
and mm-hmm. yeah it's just it just went from something when I first met him when we were dating to drinking was fun and we did it socially to this is riveting our lives mm-hmm. and what do we do yeah so during this time you know you were saying you're thinking like why can't you choose us or you're wanting him to behave differently what kind of conversations were you guys having and like how did he respond to these things was it something like no I don't have a problem or yeah oh yeah totally that was my problem (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a problem. You're the one with the problem. This is not an issue. Everyone does it. Mm-hmm. Was it causing oh, issues? That was on his... high repeat. <laughs> was it causing issues in his life at all? Was his life becoming unmanageable? And if so, like what was happening for him? I would say, like you hear about that term functioning. Mm-hmm. No person that's dependent on a substance and they function well. Um, he was probably in that category. Like he could still get up early. He didn't really struggle so much with hangovers as such. So he was able to still go to work, get up early, you know, do all those things. But when I look back on it now, I think that took everything. Like it took everything of him to go do the work, whatever. And then I, something I would say to him, like I get your leftovers. Mm-hmm. Like you, it takes everything you can to go and do to work and he was um a, he sailed so he would go sailing and then I would get like the last two percent that's left over because he absolutely used up everything he had in his tank to go and do those things and then I just got what was left which is you know falling asleep on the couch at night time no energy um obviously because you're filling your body with mm-hmm. yeah not what you're a lot, of, a lot of poison um and toxins and it you know you've only got so much to so much energy so much you can do on a day and mm-hmm. it's severely limited and then once you've done all the other things there's not much left for your wife or your children yeah and so, that's not- I mean we had lots of conversations and just I say conversations are obviously arguments um and it just didn't go anywhere I was always mm-hmm. the one with the problem. I was a hassle. I was a nag. And at the time, you know, it's hurtful to hear those things. And you doubt yourself because you think, oh, maybe I am the one with the problem. And that's when the whole, like, you're just the crazy inducing. Am I the one with the problem? Am I <laughs> unreasonable? Am I, I'm fun. Am I no fun? Like, am I being, am I out of line with what I expect out of it? <laughs> relationships am I does everyone do this does that make it okay and you just go into that whole crazy cycle of doubting Mm -hmm. yourself and your judgment and like your values and and then as we know now like obviously they're just defending their behavior because they want to keep doing it and they'll do anything say anything that will allow them to continue doing their thing because they are dependent on it and they don't want to stop (laughs) Yeah, it sounds exactly like what we've dealt with, or at least what I have. Um, so what then led to the path to recovery? What was kind of the, the tipping point and how has that gone for you guys? It's been bumpy, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. I think back 
in the early days, I think even maybe before we had children, he, I had the odd night where I kicked him out. He slept in the car. Um, maybe slept in the car for two nights, came back. Kind of, we just carried on, but nothing really changed. I think the real tipping point was maybe it was actually almost two years ago exactly to the day that he went to rehab for the first time but then maybe a year before that that he started speaking about it maybe like 2018 Mm -hmm. 2018 he started recognizing that this was a problem and I think because it just is so progressive just gets worse and worse and worse there were some problems that came up where it was a safety issue for our children mm-hmm. and that to me is that was the scariest saddest thing I think mm-hmm. when someone is so sadly dependent on something that they don't have any self-awareness of their behavior or their actions and that puts their own children in danger it was like come on can you not see this is this is serious and I think back then probably yeah three years ago there was maybe some acknowledgement from his side that this was a problem even though I had thought it was a problem for a long time before that but we know that we can't change people Mm -hmm. (laughs) we can't control them we can go black and blue in the face we can scream we can yell we can break stuff try and manipulate the situation try and shame them to getting help to see look what is happening to your life but yeah I think probably three years ago when just some things started happening that were like just escalating in a safety situation so that's when I really had to stop being in my own denial to the level of this is this is real this is happening I need to take action. I can't just be silently hoping for good things to happen or hoping that he will have good judgment because unfortunately alcohol is just, you know, it's making all the decisions for him and he just doesn't have the capacity at this stage to make those judgment calls, which was devastating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard it's you know like it's a bit of a shock to have to (laughs) come out of your own denial because denial keeps us safe it keeps us you know kind of head and stand it's going to be fine um and because maybe like I know for myself I wasn't ready to deal with the level that things were at if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um but once the safety of people especially children come into it it's like this is not we just have to do the right thing here and it just meant that I had to put safety measures in place and guardrails in place so that you know while he was at a very bad spot that I was doing you know the driving of the children being home with them all the time and things like that which is so devastating because that is not who he is you know we know that um I wouldn't have married him if I thought he was a person who could not be trusted in those situations. But unfortunately, that is reality. And I think it's really hard for people in our situation. Like you are just constantly in that chaos and like, how do I need to respond? And 
what's the best thing to do today? What's what's presenting today? How do I need to respond? So that was really the start of, I guess, recovery, I guess, for him in a way, but still lots of denial, still lots of talking about getting help. But obviously it's a super hard thing to do. And I think it was probably a year before he actually did go to rehab after first talking about it. Um, so that was probably the start of his recovery, maybe two years ago, the start of thinking about it. And, mm-hmm. and then I think I don't think I already started my recovery until a year and a half ago, like towards the end of 2019, because I was mm-hmm. still had no idea that I needed my own recovery. Mm-hmm. I was just 100% focused on the well-being of my husband. And I still was of the mindset that as soon as he gets sober, we are just fine. Everything is fine. That'll be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Everything goes back to being fine. And that's all we need. That's all I need to worry about. Just need to get him well. And not even well, just sober. In fact, then I was just obsessed with sobriety. I wasn't had no real, and again, like no understanding of addiction, <laughs> no understanding that sobriety is not the same as recovery. Mm-hmm. And I was just, obsessed and all of my thoughts were on him and his well-being and I had no idea of the shit show that was going on for me because I was so just blinders on looking at the person that was obviously struggling Mm -hmm. and yeah I didn't start my recovery till about a year and a half ago how did you realize you needed to do that I think I, I I relate a lot with you I think I've said recently that um you know, I thought when my husband got his stuff together, <laughs> I would like, everything was fine. And then what happened? Like, I thought my, I have like a uh, anxiety, like pretty bad. And I thought, you know, I'm just anxious because I'm always wondering what he's doing, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, he's been, he's had an extended amount of sobriety and I'm still an anxious mess. And it's like, oh, maybe this is actually something I have to deal with. Yeah. I think for me it was because my husband has he struggles with gambling as well um so that is hard as well and Mm. it's hard to find when I was taking the driver's seat in his recovery and I was finding him all of the recovery support groups rehabs and doing all the work myself which obviously was not the right thing to do and like semi-pointless but (laughs) I feel like, you know, you plant the seed and over time something did stick, but um, it's hard to find support for people that struggle with kind of more than one thing Mm. Um, because lots of support groups and rehabs can be like one area and I don't really, so that was a thing, but I actually called a gambling helpline to say, how can I help this guy? Like it was just, that was bad, like, the financial situation and that escalated like crazy as well I was like how can I help him what's the best thing to do and the person at the end of the helpline actually said well do you want to book an appointment with our counseling services and I'm like why (laughs) (laughs) why I was like no like I'm fine I don't have um, a struggle with gambling it's no no like usually the loved ones need some help as well and I'm like oh yeah sure sure (laughs) I'll come along you know that sounds good but I went with the mindset if they were going to help me help him 
Mm-hmm. That's what I went along thinking. And then I realized I was a hot mess. I was like, this, the fact I could talk to someone because I had not really spoken to anyone at all about what was going on, obviously, because of the shame. And the minute I could speak to someone honestly about all of this, the reality, the ugly truth about what was going on, and they weren't going to shame me, judge me, and all of that. Oh, it's just an absolute wreck. <laughs> like, and I was like, well, this is, you know, there's a lot going on here. And I continued some counseling at that stage, probably, I don't know, 2018, but I didn't have good, it was like a free service, it wasn't 100% great. So, I kind of stopped going. I wasn't getting much benefit out of it. And then again, I kind of picked it up again. Yeah, at the end of 2019. Um, and I did try some counseling in between that privately when I attempted to go to couples counseling with my husband when he was in the absolute thick of it. And obviously, couples counseling people are not going to counsel you when someone is has you know that really active addiction struggle going on so I ended up being just on the couch by myself essentially <laughs> which was confronting as well you know you go to couples counseling and then you're there by yourself but um yeah yeah and I think just trying lots of things that's what I would urge people to do I tried some things that didn't work and I did give up at the start I thought it doesn't work it's too hard that person is useless but over the time, I have tried different people who have different methodologies and different thoughts on how to help people. And that has been, it's been great to try different types of support and counselling. So if people try something, doesn't work, keep trying and keep going to help yourself in a different way because something eventually will absolutely stick. And I'll be like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. You said something that um, was relatable. In fact, that, you know, the first time you spoke to the counselor, like you hadn't shared with anybody else really what was going on. It was the first time you had a chance to talk about it. Um, Since then, have you started like telling more people in your family or how did you handle that? I think that's something people struggle with is it can feel so isolating. Uh, Yeah. It was, it's the hardest thing. And even now I have not told everybody like, so what had worked, what happened with me? Like I didn't tell anybody. I think my mum knew something wasn't right. Um, Cause her father had alcohol struggles as well. And she's a smart woman so when I'm turning up to family events by myself when I'm obviously going out with the kids every weekend by myself a person's going to think hmm (laughs) where's the other parent in that situation there's only so many excuses you can put out there to say why someone is absent but actually I didn't tell my parents the absolute 100% truth till the night before my husband was going to rehab and it was only because of the fact that I could not, I needed their help. I needed their physical help to help me with our small children. And you can't explain someone's absence for like two weeks. 
yeah so it wasn't so much as I'm ready to share it was like I was absolutely forced to out of the situation um because I was like I need help I'm going to be a bit of a mess myself and I need practical help and it was so hard I felt sick I had to call my parents up to say can you please come over I need to talk to you um and who as a parent who wants to get that phone call from your a child like you think you know you're thinking the worst I'm like everyone's okay but I do need to speak to you and I want to do it face to face I knew just over the phone I'd just be a mess and um so I had to tell them and they were supportive and then they just said, you know, why don't you tell us sooner? You know, you we, we I want to be here for you. We we know it's hard and they weren't judgmental, but I just thought until that point, my thoughts were once you know something about someone, you can't unknow that. And why I didn't speak sooner like to anybody was because I don't want people to think less of my husband mm-hmm. because he is a good person and we know that in this situation there is a lot of judgment because people still see addiction as a failing of morals rather than a disease, an illness, the symptom of a trauma or whatever it is. And I just didn't want people to judge him cruelly and so I thought if I didn't tell people, if he could just, if we could just get him better, then we could just avoid mm-hmm. that judgment and people seeing him in a different light. So that's why I didn't tell people. And then when I told my parents, they just said, you know, why don't you tell us sooner? We're here for you. And we know it's hard. We're here for your husband as well. And we will help, we will support him. And that was just like, I was just a mess as well in that conversation because to have that support, I know not everyone has that and I'm lucky to have that. And I do obviously wish in hindsight the mirror ball that I would have spoken earlier. Um, so it was great to have my parents and my, I told my sister as well and she was supportive and it's like, what can we do for you? We're here for you. And it was amazing. Um, and then I slowly, I had to tell my manager at work, because, like, you know, like when you're in this um, altered reality, like, am I in the twilight zone, like driving your husband to rehab and you just drive up to work, like walk in, sit down, like, this is like an altered reality. What is going on? I've got the kids at daycare, dropped him up the road at the hospital and just, here I am at work, <laughs> got my yeah. coffee. La, la, la. Um, so I had to tell my manager because I wasn't sure how I was going to respond. I wasn't sure, like I was obviously like pick up and drop off with my kids, just the practical side of things. Like I was joining on the spot, so I need some flexibility with work. And I was just open and honest, which I hadn't been up until that point. So it was like the heart was racing. And he was supportive as well. And he's just, you know, it's a heart, you know, let me know if you need anything. And that was really lovely. And what I found worked for me was telling people what was going on that weren't like my bestie, bestie friends, like kind of a work colleague who I'm friend who was a friend, but 
I haven't known her for, you know, 10 or 20 years. Like I've known her for two or three years and she's an amazing person. And I got some really good support from that type of friend, like someone who is just there, doesn't have the 10 or 20 year backstory of your life. Um, and then what I found is when I started sharing with people, they shared back. It's that whole storytelling you share something that's happening that's not great in your life and someone goes oh yeah my son is struggling as well with this other thing and um, it's hard for me and you end up just having this amazing support circle of people that aren't judging that aren't shaming that know you're going through hard stuff and that are there for you and the nicest thing was people were asking how I were Mm -hmm. once I shared what was going on people asked me how I was as opposed to asking how my husband was getting on which obviously you want that you want people to check in with your about your loved one's well-being as well but it was the nicest thing it just helped so much to have people that knew to ask me mm -hmm. <laughs> how I was going on like yes they because you know like in addiction the focus can be very much on the person who has the immediate struggle and that's great we want people to care about them like connection awesome but you want you know I don't think many people understand that the loved ones need support connection help as well we need to be asked how uh, how we're going because we have lived through some truly horrific things and you know have faced a lot of challenges ourselves and we need support as well so that's kind of how my support started just sharing being brave because it takes courage to say that this is going on for you and it got easier and I still don't tell everybody all of the things because not everyone deserves to share in that I guess and not everyone is equipped to help or support you in a healthy way and that's okay that's just how they are that's all good but I think you have to be careful in a way about who you do talk to and maybe you will share with some people that aren't going to respond in the right way and it's like oh oops <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. oops ladies uh that wasn't made a bad call there but don't let it discourage you from still seeking out other people that can help and for me it was in the most surprising places that I found support so yeah it's, that has been amazing for me that's awesome. Yeah. I loved what you said about how it takes courage and um, that for you, it got easier over time. And <clears throat> I would say that that aligns with my experience as well. I was so, I kept everything in and I, I'm not a sharer really either at all, like by, <laughs> like naturally. Um, and then to like be in a place where I was so desperate for support. I went into a support group with like 20 people and spilled like this whole thing that's been happening for the last couple of years. It was like, it felt really good, but also it was so terrifying. And I just remember like shaking the whole time and like crying like uncontrollably. 
<laughs> yeah. But you know, that was six years ago. And then to have a podcast today and like then like a few weeks ago, tell everyone I knew what was going on. I know it was, that's so brave. <laughs> it's so it, but I don't even think that that's like I don't relate with that. I think that it just got easier, like yeah. over six years, you know, it's like, don't, I told this story maybe a thousand times, hundreds of times yeah. at least. And then to tell it like that, it didn't even matter anymore because it was something I was so comfortable with. Um, and I think with that as well, like at the start, you see it as a reflection on you, like mm-hmm. it's personal, like this is me as an extension and um I felt it was personal and it was somehow was defining me and Mm -hmm. that's why I think at the start I didn't share because I felt the personal stigma shame like it was this is going to be how people saw us how they saw me but now I don't think that and I think if people do think that that's a reflection on them and it's not a reflection on me because this doesn't define me it doesn't define my husband it doesn't define you and it's just something that has happened. It is not great, and but it's not insurmountable, and it doesn't define us. And I think you have that growth where you're like, this doesn't define me anymore. I'm not like I'm not giving it that power. Um, mm-hmm. And I think yeah, that's a huge thing to come through the other side of, and it takes time. Like if you would have thought to yourself six years ago, I'm going to be on a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> like talking about this stuff with my you know face out there tell my nearest and dearest you'd be like no way I'm never talking about this no <laughs> yeah um one thing that you said I wanted to uh touch on and that come on um it just slipped my mind um oh I think too that it's helpful like you said that when you shared with someone they shared back mm. and I think that what we don't maybe naturally think is that just how many people are going through this you know, oh my gosh, yeah. That is, this is so common, but it's just something we don't speak about. So, I mean, chances are whoever you tell knows somebody struggling with addiction. So it's just like yeah. one of those things that I feel like the more we talk about it, the more we normalize the conversation, like everyone's going to be a part of that conversation because, mm. you know, like, so I don't know. I think that um, that's encouraged me to share in the past too, with like just knowing that someone else has probably dealt with this and maybe they have a different perspective or something that they can share or um so yeah I found too that you know when you tell someone um a lot of times they're like yeah I know this person or or whatever so yeah yeah I absolutely agree and I think it's when I've spoken to people it's yeah my brother struggles with this my son struggles with this my aunt and it's not even like I know someone who has a cousin it's like my uncle, my aunt, my nephew, my brother, my mother, my child, it is everywhere. And that's, to me, when I started Addiction Max 3 on Instagram, and I just felt so alone. I felt so isolated, so alone. And there was not a lot of support for the loved ones. Mm-hmm. There was Al-Anon. And for me personally, there were a couple of meetings during the day, which I couldn't go to because I was at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there was um, two other meetings and they were like 45 minute, half an hour drive away. And when you have young children and your loved one is the other parent, 
you can't leave the children with them necessarily. It's not a safe thing to do to get to a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just not a lot of support. There's no like rehabs for us as such or like good programs to go to. And then that was one of the good things I think that did come out of the virus. Um, <laughs> that it has put lots of things online. Yeah. Um, but then when I think about that as well, like not everyone is in a safe environment at home to perhaps utilize that either. Um, if their loved one is not in good shape and is in the house, you know, perhaps people still can't access support in that way. So I just thought there was just no support. And I thought there must be so many people getting so alone, so isolated, living in the chaos, like what is even happening in my life right now? Can't talk to anyone because they feel embarrassed, ashamed, scared to speak out because of the stigma. Um, so that's why I started Addiction Makes Three on Instagram. I thought I can try and connect with people and just share my story so other people can go, oh my gosh, that goes on for me as well. I'm not alone. Because it touches it doesn't matter what your upbringing is, what school you went to, what who you married, where you grew up, what sport you did or didn't play, what your job is. This truly touches, like we've just discussed, so many people. And there are so many people just struggling in isolation. And that mm-hmm. just is the you know it's sad it's so sad and it's heartbreaking because this is ugly the reality of addiction is ugly to live with it to see the behaviors and you need support the loved ones need support so that's kind of where I got to with addiction makes three like just help people feel heard feel seen feel like this isn't just going on for me because I think for a while I just thought no one out here is having this experience it's just (laughs) me and a few other people but not many um mm-hmm. and then yeah like obviously now I'm further down the track it's just like most people have someone in their family unit that's um struggling so yeah, yeah. And you've kind of built a little community around you and I yeah. think it's nice to see that support yeah it's awesome. nice when people help each you see other people helping each other. That's a really lovely thing. And to just, because we can be, you know, I've been at such low ebbs in the past. And even now I still have low moments where I think, oh, this is so heavy. It's hard. This feels hard today. And when you see other people having a bad day as well, they don't, don't know what to do should they stay, should they go, should they do all the other things and someone else just like look after yourself and go and do something nice for yourself, call a friend and it's not about offering advice like yes, leave or yes, Mm -hmm. stay, you know, that's like just makes me kind of tick in like not a good way because we should never tell someone else (laughs) what they should do in their situation, we don't know what's best for them but it's just the support of you deserve good things. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to have peace or protect your peace or, you know, like whatever it is, just that support to help people feel less alone. Like I see it and it just warms my heart because I know that 
a lot of people will be getting unwarranted advice from <laughs> well-intended people and people that don't know the realities of addiction. Like, no, we can't just leave our loved ones. Yeah. Like we love, we love them. <laughs> they are good. They are a good person. Like we're not just going to leave. And if we do decide to leave, that's a decision we have to come to by ourselves. So when you get right. all of that advice, even though it's well-intended, you're like, it makes you feel worse. So mm-hmm. to have a support environment or a community that knows that's not a helpful thing to say that's a really lovely thing just to feel supported like people have got your back they know that you deserve good things and they know it's hard today yeah and I think it's more helpful when you hear examples of things people have tried that you know they've walked in your shoes and it it shows you like you can see examples of maybe somebody who has left and what that looks like in their life mm. and people aid and you know but it's easier when you see that from people who are actually experiencing it than from those who are outside just trying to give advice and you know like you can take all of the things that are shared and then you decide what works best for you and so it's just i think helpful to see the different examples that are out there yeah for sure and i think it it takes time like as much as you coming out of your own denial on your loved one has a problem it takes time to look at the situation and because there's no guarantees that they are going to recover there's no guarantees that they'll stay in recovery it's a choice that you have to make yourself whether you choose to stay or not and there's a lot of things that you will think about when you make those choices and then we know that there are situations where people stay because they have to for a time and it's supporting people that are having to make that choice for lack of a better word for a time like um, I know that's what I felt a few years ago I felt I had no choice I had to stay and that was such a disempowering hard time because I just had a new baby I had no job Mm -hmm. I felt completely unable to make a choice so I just thought I had no choice but yeah to have support people who aren't trying to enforce um, decisions on you is an amazing thing and just to be there for you to hear you and to just support you yeah I just I hope everyone has that in some capacity because that's the best thing yeah so you felt that way a few years ago I guess how are you feeling now and or I guess where do things stand in your relationship today I'm choosing to stay from a fully I'm choosing to stay knowing I can leave I could leave if I wanted to. I don't know if that came out the right way, but (laughs) I'm choosing to stay knowing that I can also feel strong enough to leave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I don't feel like I can't leave. I feel like I can go and get more work, go, you know, work full time, put a roof over my head, clothes, food, et cetera. And I know I can do it. Whereas a few years ago, I felt this is way too hard with a newborn and a two-year-old. How would I even do that? I just have to stay because it is way too hard. Um, I could never envisage leaving, but I think over time, and then what also helped me was speaking to a financial counsellor, maybe Mm -hmm. like a 
year and a half ago, like with the gambling situation, like the finances aren't very good. So she kind of helped me think about ways that I could help myself like financially um, protecting finances. And like, if, you know, we did separate, there are things in place that can help people in this position. Um, so I felt empowered with that as well. So I think if you arm yourself with knowledge about both outcomes and feel strong that yes if it came to it I could leave I would obviously be sad and I would grieve all of the things that we didn't have as a family I would grieve my partner and the life we could have had together mm-hmm. but I can practically do it mm-hmm. if I choose to um so I think that's where I've got to now like I want to stay I want to have that relationship I have hope that's I guess my main thing I still have hope there has been moments maybe last year where my hope was getting to a very low ebb um, you know to be completely honest and I just thought there is no hope now Mm. and that was devastating and I thought there's no hope I don't think he's actually going to get better I think this is going to destroy him destroy our you know relationship but then you know (laughs) like I saw a little light and you know I'm hopeful again and it is up and down it is bumpy it's messy but I think from what you're saying before like I choose myself I'm prioritizing my own well-being as well and that gives me that makes me feel better I don't feel like I'm attached to the addiction roller coaster as much as I was a few years ago um and that helps me feel better it helps me feel stronger um Mm. in my well-being and my life and like I had spoken before about living grief like I would still grieve the relationship I would still grieve all the things we wouldn't have but I know that I'm strong enough to do it now whereas a few years ago I, I felt yeah like mm-hmm. not strong at all yeah it's so interesting what you're um saying because I relate it to myself when I kind of I call it like being codependent you know I, I felt so intertwined with my partner's um success or whatever the definition of success was at the time that like my self-value and the way I felt about my future was always determined by whether or not he was doing the quote unquote right thing, or if he was getting better, whatever that meant at the time. And it was just so hard because it just sounded like to me that you kind of detached yourself from that. And you, you said, I can take control of myself And these are the things I can do too. And I just think that's such an important thing to highlight because once you're a great example of this, but once you start to regain agency over yourself and and separate yourself from the chaos of addiction, because also our partners like aren't really in control either. They're tethered to the same thing. And that's kind of what they're working on too. We're both trying to get away from that right yeah in our own ways and it's just so empowering when you can make small steps and um, I think different things work for different people but it sounds like for you you know um, 
self-care, financial wellness, and having, you know, a game plan is what's helped you feel that way. And I just would encourage folks that are in the beginnings of that, that like to, to look at you and your example or other people that they find and see how you, just making, doing small things over time can yeah. help you kind of take control again of yourself. Yeah, and absolutely. So I was a hundred percent on the roller coaster with my husband. Like, mm-hmm. uh, if he was up, I was up. If he was down, I was down. That was exactly where we were at. It was just yay, sober, yeah. you know. And then, oh, not sober, being very not great. And I was right down up. And oh my gosh, like how exhausting is that? Mm-hmm. And it's so disempowering you do not have control you're like what is going to happen today I have no idea but when and this it sounds funny I didn't really even know what a boundary was until about two years ago <laughs> <laughs> and you think how did you make it to this age and stage and not know what a boundary is like I had no boundaries I didn't know what, what one was the minute I discovered boundaries which I think I have there has been some benefits to this addiction chaos but boundaries are your friends because it helps you step off the crazy roller coaster and go this is what I'm doing this is what I have control over I will and will not be around these things if this happens I'm going to do this and I've still been impacted like when there's been a really bad incident or I've been let down or something hasn't gone the way that I had planned and then like my kids are let down or whatever I still have felt the heart racing I feel sick my mind starts thinking all the things but what happens now is that I recover quicker Mm -hmm. from those moments whereas before that would have absolutely ruined the whole day the whole weekend I would have been this is rubbish life is rubbish life is going to be rubbish forever I'm never going to be happy and you Mm -hmm. know just that whole like yucky thoughts sort of just consume me life is hard I'm by myself you know (laughs) just terrible just like not health not helpful things but now I have a moment I go away I try and do like a fact check what has actually happened what do I have control over what can I do now and what can I do next time so that what where could I have better intercepted this and mm-hmm. done something about it so I don't get to this point mm-hmm. and that constant like re-evaluation of what I could have done differently to control my situation has helped a lot and you know I'm not back when I was obsessed over sobriety once he's sober things are mm-hmm. going to be so great that's fine it's all going to be all good and there's so much to rehab and they were like Oh, when they relapse or whatever. I'm like, what? <laughs> I think we <laughs> all did this that. the magic thing. Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. What? And I just took those relapses so hard early on and those bumps and those kind of little stumbles. But now I'm like, okay, that's what happened. And I don't, I'm not on that crazy. I remove myself from the situation. I'm not around it. I don't want to be around it. And that's kind of my boundary that helps protect my well-being that helps me keep you know mm-hmm. my side of the street yeah okay-ish. that's awesome yeah I think that's a, a big step when you can 
realize that it's possible to be okay whether or not they are okay. And I think that's like what we're always working to is like, how can I be well regardless yeah. of what situation my my loved one is in right now? So mm. seems like yeah. you, you are doing a good job of working on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you do think, oh, I just want them to be well now. Can that just be a thing? And <laughs> mm-hmm. can we just be there already? But I think in the past, I just made these ultimations. I just had to do the last time. I'm not doing this anymore. And you make all of these before you know any better. So we'll just be kind to ourselves. You know, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm mm-hmm. going to get a divorce if you do this again. And now I'm like, I know that you might slip up again and that's okay. It's as long as I can see that you are trying put your well-being first that you're trying to give yourself the best chance at a good life that's all that I want for you you know my husband that's what I tell him like I know that it's hard it's a hard thing and I know that you might have a slip up again but it's how do you respond to that how how soon do you see that you are relapsing mentally rather than Mm-hmm. it's not the actual picking up of the drink or the drug or you know whatever it is the action of the thing it's this happened before that so it's how can you help yourself in those situations respond better next time or help yourself better next time so I don't make the same ultimatum <laughs> or like yeah. just like not it's not kind I didn't know any better before and it's not realistic because you know, some people do go 10, 20, 30 years, you know, for the rest of their lives and not do the thing anymore. And that is great for them. That is awesome. But that is not the reality for a lot of people as well. So it's just keeping that reality visible to loved ones to, for like mm-hmm. managing expectations. Like, yes, your loved one might be great and that's it. And they'll just work on their wellness and all good but then sometimes people will have a mistake and they will go and do something but it doesn't mean they're back at the start and neither are you and it's just how you then move forward from that I think helps your well-being as well like knowing it's a possibility and how are you going to handle it with yourself Mm -hmm. if it does come up that's so good because um I think that we I went to um, treatment, like the rehab thing, thing with my spouse and was also like, wait, this isn't like, you're not just going to fix him. Like, this is, this isn't like, we're just going to be done with this in a couple months. Um, I want a refund. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that I realized, you know, like we've talked a lot today about how we are on our own recovery journey. And while we still have our own quote unquote slips or relapses into old behavior and old patterns, I think it helped me a lot to understand that my husband was doing the same thing. So he's Mm. learning a new way to live his life. And um, when we stopped putting so much pressure on like the relapse or the number of days sober, he lifted too. Like he was like, it was easier for him to not take these things so hard. It didn't, it's like, yeah, okay, this is, I mean, don't use it as a rationalization to, you know, go do the thing, but yeah, it's not um, okay, <laughs> not yeah. okay, but yeah. it's not the end of the world. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And as long as you learn from this and like, so I think that was a big shift in our dynamic as well. You know, when I wasn't 
I think that encourages a lot of lying sometimes because they don't want to tell mm. you because you've said, well, I'm going to get a divorce if you relapse. And they're like, yeah, well, you to divorce me. I didn't mean to do, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I just, for us, it was um, a game changer when it was, we accepted the reality of the disease, which was, you know, relapse is common and sometimes part of the healing. Yeah. And um, when I changed my mind about that, um, things started to change. And I, I think that that's a big thing. That's a hard thing to realize at the beginning, you know, because um, yeah. especially in the traditional recovery world, you know, day sober is like what you're going for. Mm, and, and I think mm-hmm. you probably only were in that, you only had that capacity to do that because you had been doing your own recovery. Mm-hmm. Like to have that compassion because I think at the start when my husband went to rehab two years ago, they had a morning for families and loved ones. And part of the thing was if relapse happens, respond with compassion. I'm like, how? I do not have those skills. I am like so hurt, highly struggled, dealing with all of the life stuff. I've had it up to here. How do I respond with compassion? Like, please give me some skills to help me because <laughs> I am hurt. I'm being yep. betrayed. I have dealt with things that I had had not anticipated ever dealing with in my life. How I don't really have compassion right now. But and so even when I did respond with compassion, it didn't help the situation back then. But there's like this really unrealistic expectation on loved ones to do all this goodness, whereas like lack of acknowledging you've actually been through a lot yourself. So mm-hmm. it helps if you can help, like there's you get a better outcome if you have support and addiction. Like we know that people get better if they have support. Yes, awesome. But you need to help the people that are the support people (laughs) because they've probably been through so much themselves. They have seen all kinds of ugly and heard things, you know, experienced things, and they need help with that as well to be in this position to support someone else. Mm-hmm. yeah agree yeah Man. well this was awesome thank you so yep. much for coming on and um thank we just we love me. what you're doing with um addiction makes three and just grateful to have you a part of this community i wouldn't wish anyone to be necessarily no. but appreciate um the community that you've created and that we get to be a part of it so yes, yeah thank you for having me and- yeah, you mentioned earlier, you said something about one of the benefits of going through this. And I think that this would be one of the benefits for us is that, you know, it's given us the opportunity to connect with you and others that otherwise, you know, I don't know that our paths would have ever crossed. And so, no, I, yeah. And that's it. I don't wish this on anyone else, but I do see some things that have benefited me that wouldn't have otherwise like boundaries mm-hmm. and my prioritizing my well-being like I you know having two young children I always put them first my family first and kind of I was at on the back you know giving myself mm-hmm. the leftovers essentially um and now I prioritize my well-being so I know that if I'm well on myself that I'm better for myself and everyone else um mm-hmm and saying no to things I feel more comfortable saying no whereas before I was like people pleaser extraordinaire um Mm -hmm. and saying no without apology and just 
yeah, like it has given me a lot. And yeah, meeting amazing people that I never would have met yeah. otherwise. Yeah. And, and connecting with people who I did already know on a deeper level yeah. yeah, has been you like moving through that superficial, everything is fine <laughs> um, kind of persona to, yeah, every, things are good, but there's also like the stuff going on over here, which is not very good. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been great to connect with people who I do know on a deeper level as well. Awesome. Well, well thank appreciate you. us and thanks to everyone for listening and keep coming back. Like this episode? We hope so. If you want more from the women of Boy Problems Podcast, please join us at Patreon at Recovering2. We will be releasing exclusive content, and we also have an option where you can connect with us every month for 30 minutes, one-on-one. We hope you join us there. Back to the episode. Thanks for spending time with us. We hope this story has helped you better navigate yours. Don't forget to subscribe so we can meet you here next time. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the love by rating or reviewing. Need more support? Join our online community by visiting us at boyproblemspod.com. Whatever you do, keep coming back. We're not licensed professionals. We're here to share our lived experience. So take what resonates and leave what doesn't.